You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. The SolarWinds breach reportedly affected parts of the Pentagon. Microsoft and partners seize and sinkhole command and control domains used by Sunburst malware. The threat actor behind the breach used a novel technique to bypass multi-factor authentication at a think tank. Facebook takes down competing inauthentic networks focused on Africa. Joe Kerrigan has insights on Amnesia 33. Our guest, Greg Edwards from Crypto Stopper, shares his experience getting back online after a derecho. And the execution of the FCC's rip-and-replace plan will likely fall to the next U.S. administration. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, December 16th, 2020. The scope of the solar wind supply chain breach continues to expand. The New York Times reports that parts of the Pentagon were compromised, although the extent is still unclear. A Pentagon spokesman told the Times, quote, The DOD is aware of the reports and is currently assessing the impact. End quote. CyberScoop reports that the White House National Security Council has activated the Cyber Unified Coordination Group to coordinate the government's response to the incident. And the Wall Street Journal says White House National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien has cut short a trip to Europe and returned to the U.S. to deal with the incident. ZDNet reports that Microsoft has seized and sinkholed the domain that served as a command and control server for the malware used in the operation. Microsoft Defender also began blocking known malicious SolarWinds versions this morning, stating that it will quarantine the binary even if the process is running. Reuters says SolarWinds' security posture is now being scrutinized closely amidst reports of security missteps in the past. A security researcher told the publication that he informed SolarWinds last year that anyone could access the company's update server using the password SolarWinds123. Volexity describes an incident involving the threat actor behind the SolarWinds operation, presumed to be Russia's SVR, The actor first compromised a U.S.-based think tank and remained undetected for several years. After being discovered and removed, the actor regained access by exploiting a vulnerability in Microsoft Exchange Control Panel. The attackers were again expelled, but returned a third time via the compromised SolarWinds update in June and July of 2020. Notably, during its second appearance, the actor used a new technique to bypass the victim's multi-factor authentication solution, in this case Duo, 
after gaining administrative privileges on the victim's Outlook web app server. The security firm explains, quote, Velexity's investigation into this incident determined the attacker had accessed the Duo integration secret key from the OWA server. This key then allowed the attacker to derive a pre-computed value to be set in the Duo SID cookie. After successful password authentication, the server evaluated the Duo SID cookie and determined it to be valid. This allowed the attacker, with knowledge of a user account and password, to then completely bypass the MFA set on the account. It should be noted that this is not a vulnerability with the MFA provider and underscores the need to ensure that all secrets associated with key integrations, such as those with an MFA provider, should be changed following a breach. End quote. Ars Technica stresses that this could have been pulled off with any multi-factor solution, noting that, quote, MFA threat modeling generally doesn't include a complete system compromise of an OWA server. The level of access the hacker achieved was enough to neuter just about any defense, end quote. Facebook has taken down three competing inauthentic networks that primarily focused on African countries. One of the operations originated in France, while two were based in Russia. Interestingly, Facebook says this is the first time it's seen two opposing information operations, quote, actively engage with one another, including by befriending, commenting, and criticizing the opposing side for being fake, end quote. The French operation, posted primarily in French and Arabic about news and current events, including France's policies in Francophone Africa, the security situation in various African countries, claims of potential Russian interference in the election in the Central African Republic, supportive commentary about French military and criticism of Russia's involvement in CAR. Facebook tied this campaign to individuals associated with the French military. The Russian campaigns posted primarily in French, English, Portuguese, and Arabic about news and current events, including COVID-19 and the Russian vaccine against the virus, the upcoming election in the Central African Republic, terrorism, Russia's presence in sub-Saharan Africa, supportive commentary about the CIR government, criticism of the French foreign policy, and a fictitious coup d'etat in Equatorial Guinea. Facebook attributes this campaign to individuals previously associated with Russia's Internet Research Agency. Roll Call says the execution of the U.S. Federal Communication Commission's rip-and-replace order for Chinese hardware will be the responsibility of the incoming Biden administration and the U.S. Congress. The FCC estimates that the reimbursement costs to replace the equipment will be at least $1.6 billion. And outgoing FCC chairman Ajit Pai noted that, quote, we can't actually implement the reimbursement program unless and until Congress appropriates the necessary funding. Quote. The current top contenders to serve as Biden's FCC chair voted in favor of the rip and replace plan. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. What happens when your community is hit by an unexpected natural disaster, one that falls outside of the range of things you'd planned for? Greg Edwards is CEO at ransomware prevention firm CryptoStopper, and when his community got hit with a derecho, which is a weather system perhaps best described as a wall of wind, they learned a lot of lessons about getting up and running online. I actually used to own an off-site backup and disaster recovery company. And during Hurricane Sandy, we did nine simultaneous recoveries for companies on the East Coast. So we specialized in working with insurance agencies and had clients all over the country. And so we were prepared for events like that on the coast with hurricanes or earthquakes. But here in the Midwest, we were not prepared for something like this at all. Even having a a disaster recovery background, we had all of our our clients had cloud-based backup and local backup solutions. And really was only one of those that we actually enacted because they had a a secondary location that's about um, 70 miles away that wasn't as badly affected that we could take their recovery servers and bring it back online there. But everyone else, because there was no power anywhere, it took waiting because you couldn't just have people go home and work from home because they didn't have power at home either. So really the recovery was about getting generators for companies that didn't pre-plan for that. Um, The ones that did have generators and their buildings weren't too badly destroyed, we were able to get them up and going pretty quickly, but um, sent people to hotels and sent servers to different locations. It was, it was from a disaster recovery standpoint, um, I mean, we, we handled it and didn't lose any data, but definitely lost more time than we would have liked because there just wasn't power. But what are some of the lessons learned here in terms of, I mean, I'm thinking about a derecho is not something that, that you all probably saw coming. You know, we had one here on the East Coast a few years ago 
uh, you know, no one had had ever remembered one in 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 memory. And who knows if if and when we'll have another one. But I think one thing you know people sort of agree on is that the weather isn't as predictable as it used to be. Um, and so I'm curious, just from sort of a risk management point of view, what sort of take homes do you have? So I, I think the most critical thing that I learned from this is how absolutely important access to generators is. So hmm. I personally at, at my home, I had a generator large enough to run most of my house. So I was very fortunate to be able to have, for the most part, power. I didn't have air conditioning, but you know, I can survive without that. So right. um but the clients um, had a couple clients that had full generators to run their, you know, run their entire buildings. And those clients were back up and running. And it, it, internet service took a few days to get back up. But for the most part, they were back up and going right away. People that didn't have generators were really the ones that were, were suffering more. So, so biggest takeaway is where, where are you going to get power? And secondary is where are you going to get internet? That's Greg Edwards from Crypto Stopper. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting story uh, from Gizmodo. Uh, this is something uh, we've covered here on the CyberWire, but I want to mm -hmm. get your take on it. This is uh, researchers discovered dangerous security flaws in code used in millions of devices. <laughs> right. What's going on here, Joe? So this is a company called Forescout, and they found 33 vulnerabilities in four open source libraries that have been used in IoT devices. Right. So let me explain uh, how this works from a software development or from a product development standpoint. Um, when, when you're developing software and you need some functionality that is commonly available, you go out and you find, uh, you find these open source products that you can integrate into your, uh, into your software, and somebody else has already done all the work, and that's great, right? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now, like, uh, the one, one thing I needed was, at one point in time, I needed an SNMP uh, protocol representation in code. So I went out and I found one, and I was like, this is great, and it's open source, and I can use it, and it worked fantastic. It was, there was nothing, nothing wrong with it, um, right. or at least not that I knew of, right? <laughs> there very well may have been some vulnerabilities in that product. And that's what these guys have found, is they have found these 33 vulnerabilities in four very commonly used libraries. Mm -hmm. So 
the the free software makes it easy to get these products out the door, but now these products are out there, and there are devices from 150 manufacturers that are vulnerable, which is a very large footprint for these vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Lots now, of IoT devices. These are IoT devices, exactly. Uh, the article says that some people may say, just issue a round of security patches. Uh, and I'm sure that Scout was responsible in their vulnerability handling, and they disclosed this this information. And I'm sure that those companies have now gone ahead and patched all these vulnerabilities. And that's great for future releases. But there are still thousands or if not millions of these devices out there on the internet that have not been updated and are still vulnerable to these kind of attacks. Right, right. And they're, they're, Forescout is calling this Amnesia 33 because of the, the 33 is for the 33 vulnerabilities. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I think it's it's an interesting uh, dilemma here because, as you say, it's um, it makes total sense to not reinvent the wheel when right. there are absolutely w- there are uh, you know functioning, uh, well working things you can plug into your process that'll save you time, save you money, um, and uh, have been through the the ringer with other people testing them. But then time passes, right? right? And these, some of these. <laughs> Some of these products have been out there for, I think, 20 years, the article said. Wow. There have been these kind of open source libraries out there available for developers to use for a very long time. What's going to be challenging about this is is getting these devices updated. If these devices were low cost or if these devices have been discontinued, there is no way they're going to be updated. So people need to be aware of this. Go out and look in your infrastructure for these devices. See if you have any. And if you do, if you can't update them, replace them. That needs to happen. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this is going to provide a, a foothold on your network. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think about, uh, we talk about how, um, you know, so many organizations don't have a good inner, a good um, inventory of all of the devices that are hooked up to their networks. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, and if you're working in a, de- in a development environment, developers are, uh, and I've been guilty of this as well, <laughs> well known for just hooking something into the network and going, yeah, I'm going to use that and never telling IT about it, never telling the, right. uh, <laughs> the organization, I put this Raspberry Pi on the network. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, speaks to the need for uh, security tools that can detect when you do that. Right. You know, security tools that can go in and take that inventory in some sort of automated fashion. But yep. also... Um, Having a checklist of right. you know what's what's been updated, what hasn't, and and I don't know. I mean, should should some things be in a, in a regular replacement uh, cycle? If, I think if, they should. If be. a device is more than X number of years old and it's it's end of life, does that mean we should get a new one that that is has that is being updated? It's yes. an interesting question. I, I think it should be. I think that's a, you 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 do all kinds of other hardware replacement. You replace people's laptops every couple of years or three years, however long the warranties wear out on them, right? Yeah. So yeah. why not everything else? Uh, these these things should have a uh, a life cycle, a life cycle that includes disposal. Right. Right. I just think it's so easy to because these devices become out of sight, out of mind. Right. And I always think about that security camera sitting up there in the ceiling or in the corner of the warehouse or whatever, and and it's doing a great job doing everything you want it to do, and so you just don't think about it. Right. It's you know, it's but a, it might also be I, doing some things you don't want it to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, it is uh, Amnesia 33 uh, is the, uh, the the name that the folks at Scout have uh, put on this list of uh, security flaws. So uh, do check that out. See if it applies to you. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave.
And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. All day strong, all day long. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Guru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com cyberwire.